0: From training to performing, join our big league conversation. Welcome to the CSP Elite Baseball Development Podcast with your host, Eric Cressy. Welcome back to the CSP Elite Baseball Development Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Cressy, and this is episode 103. I'm going to fly solo for this episode because it's a topic that's actually really near and dear to me, Um, an area where I've put a lot of my attention over the years, um, kind of dug in on both the anecdotal evidence as well as more of the the objective research um, that's available to us on this really hot topic in the baseball world of should pitchers take time off from throwing. There's a lot of really strong arguments on both sides of the equation, a lot of anecdotal evidence from pitchers who it's worked for and others who it hasn't worked for. So we're gonna chip away at a a really complex discussion, but I think it'll prove to be really beneficial and timely given that we're we're rolling up on, on the start of that true off season. This episode is brought to you by Athletic Greens, the most comprehensive NSF certified for sport daily nutritional supplement I've ever tried. With so many stressors in life, it's difficult to maintain effective nutritional habits and give our bodies the nutrients they need to thrive. As a father of three young kids and a co-founder of multiple businesses in multiple states, on top of still being an avid exerciser, I know that busy schedules can really take their toll on us. Whether it's poor sleep, exercise or life stressors, environmental factors, or simply not eating enough of the right foods, we can wind up deficient nutritionally. This is where Athletic Greens can really help. It's a game-changing nutritional insurance policy. They simplify the logistics of getting optimal nutrition on a daily basis by giving you just one thing with all the best things. And that's why I use it daily and recommend it to our athletes. One scoop of Athletic Greens contains 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food sourced ingredients, including a multivitamin, multimineral, probiotic, green superfood blend, and more. They work together to fill the nutritional gaps in your diet, increase energy and focus, aid in digestion, recovery, and supporting of a healthy immune system. This all can happen without taking multiple products. While most nutritional products come to market and stay stagnant, Athletic Greens continues to obsessively improve this one holistic formula based on the latest research, producing 53 improvements over the last decade. They invest in the most absorbable and natural source of each ingredient and go above and beyond in third-party testing to ensure their customers continue to receive the highest quality and best daily nutritional habit on the planet. It's lifestyle-friendly, whether you're keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free, and contains less than one gram of sugar without compromising on taste. They put 75 ingredients to the NSF for sport certification to come up with a formula that's trusted by some of the world's best athletes, including our own. Right now, Athletic Greens is giving our listeners 10 free travel packets with their subscription. Simply go to athleticgreens.com backslash Cressy to receive my offer. These travel packs are perfect for supporting your immune system, energy, and gut health when you're traveling for games, training, or simply when you're on the go. They can be a great counterbalance to the less than ideal on the road food options. So if you want to bridge the gap between deficient and optimal, and give yourself the best chance to get nutrient diversity, then head to athleticgreens.com backslash Cressy and get your 10 free travel packets today. Again, that's athleticgreens.com backslash Cressy, C-R-E-S-S-E-Y. One of the most common debates in the baseball world over the years has been whether pitchers should take time off from throwing Um, we have people who are really really fervent about how they discuss this Um, and it was really a debate that was you know even in place when we first opened Cressy sports performance in 2007 and i'd say it's even more of one now because of the expanded offering of specialized training initiatives across the industry you know really and the fact that competition is higher across all levels of baseball you know, perhaps more specifically and more significantly, um, some of the best players in the game, uh, most notably Jacob DeGrom, Max Scherzer, they have both been very public in attributing some of their successes to the fact that they do continue to throw when the season ends. I'm fortunate to have worked with Max since 2016 and and seen him, you know, go through his offseason program. And it's it's probably a lot different than what most people really maybe appreciate of it, just from hearing him speak off the cuff about it. And we'll we'll touch on that later. Um, but you know they ha- they have been very you know kind of transparent about them thinking that that's something that helped them so we have to to dig in deep on that and figure out how maybe we can carry that out to to other players that are hoping to achieve that same level of success um, at the other end of the spectrum we do know that pitching injuries are, are at all time highs across all levels and overuse, and more specifically, pitching more months out of the year, is associated with a significant increase in, in injury risk. Um, in fact, in a landmark review in the American Journal of Sports Medicine in 2006, Olson's group noted and recommended the following. Quote, pitchers who had surgery averaged eight months of competitive pitching per year compared with 5.5 months in the control group. Through multivariable analysis, we found that pitchers who competed more than eight months per year we're at about five times increased risk for injury requiring surgery. The current recommendation is to discourage year-round pitching and to have at least three months of active rest per year. Here, active rest is defined as rest from throwing, but not from other sports or activities. On the basis of the data from the current study, pitchers may need more than three months of active rest. So here's the challenge that we're dealing with. Subjectively, we see some of the best pitchers on the planet thriving with this approach, But it's hardly a controlled study each of them has a different way of attacking the off-season throwing program and we have to be careful about applying this to the masses particularly skeletally immature athletes who may not be ready to take on this workload and if we're being honest we also know most teenagers aren't really good at gauging their efforts so what works for a big leaguer with seven years of service time isn't necessarily going to work for the 15-year-old kid who is just trying to throw harder than his buddies and and gets into aggressive games of catch instead of just thinking about working it um, and moving his arm around. Um, We also don't know if there's a case of survivorship bias in place here. So we hear about the ones who have been successful at the highest levels with continuing to throw year-round, but we don't know, you know, is, is it for every major league pitcher that thrives this approach, do we have 10 more who don't do well with it? So if we're going to roll this out to the masses, we have to set some very strict guidelines on who's a good candidate to throw year round, what actually constitutes, quote unquote, throwing, and how do we actually implement it. Um, before we get to that discussion, though, I think we should first highlight some of the proposed you know, rationales for taking time off and continuing to throw. Let's start off with the take time off side of the discussion. And I think the best place to start is likely an analogy. And I'd say that trying to improve upper extremity strength, mobility, and tissue quality while an athlete is still throwing is like trying to change the tire on a car that's still moving. Um, And the reason is very simple. Throwing is the fastest motion in all of sports. And what we appreciate is that there are a lot of physical fallouts that come from that. You know, the first thing I want to discuss is this concept of increasing passive range of motion. So what we know about most pitchers is that over the course of a given season, they're gonna gain external rotation. So when you lay your arm back in the extreme layback position of the throwing delivery, there's basically a gradual loosening that takes place both at the anterior shoulder and you know to some degree at the medial elbow. We actually have some some good research that shows that the gapping, the, the valgus stress, at that inside of the elbow actually increases acutely with fatigue as you go from the fourth and fifth and sixth innings. And presumably it also happens over the course of the fatigue that sets in over a chronic season. So, you know, having that external rotation, that layback is very important for throwing hard. And, and research has certainly demonstrated that simply throwing is going to increase shoulder external rotation range of motion. That doesn't mean, however, that it's a good idea to just have somebody stretch you into external rotation. So let's let's get that out of out of the way. But um, you see when you when you externally rotate the humerus, so the ball rotates on the, the glenoid, the socket what actually happens is your humeral head tends to translate forward. So as you lay your arm back, the ball is actually gliding forward in the socket. Okay, in a well-functioning shoulder girdle, your rotator cuff works hard to basically prevent that ball from gliding forward on the socket. Um, It's also assisted by good function of your scapular stabilizers, which, which help to make sure the socket is in a good place. And certainly further down, rib positioning, thoracic spine positioning impacts that as well. Um, And and really what's really happening is just that we have active restraints that are working hard to protect the passive restraints. So our cuff gets stronger, it times up better, and it works to stabilize the humeral head in the socket so that it doesn't glide forward. And it's more prone to glide forward if that anterior capsule, the ligaments in the front of the shoulder, are a little bit looser. So the tricky part about it is when we're always throwing, we're continuing to kind of exacerbate the loose aspect of the shoulder and presumably the the loose aspect of the medial elbow that also has to be protected by some of those active restraints. So one of the, the knocks against continuing to throw is that it's really hard to get those ligaments to stiffen up just a little bit. Um, You know, we might go on a a throwing program in hopes of really working on this neuromuscular efficiency and grooving our mechanics over and over again, but some of the key physical structures that support those efforts, um, you know, may not be trending in the same correct direction. So I actually am of the mindset that pitchers should actually lose a few degrees of external rotation each off season, as it probably affords them an opportunity to, to improve their passive stability. Um, you know, so that's passive stability, but we also need to know there's an active component to stability, what controls a joint. And, and that's where, as I mentioned before, the scapular stabilizers, the rotator cuff need to be prepared. And, and one of the things that we like to do, you know, during this downtime is to work hard on a lot of manual resistance exercises. Those are exercises that may not necessarily be ideal to use during the season as much, just because sometimes they can cause a lot of soreness that may not be as ideal when we're, we're in competitive mode. Um, you know, another por- portion of this is that you know, in spite of the fact that ligaments may actually be getting looser at the, the medial elbow and the anterior shoulder, many throwers actually lose motion um, during the season. This is probably because of the, the considerable eccentric stress that they encounter at different portions of the shoulder girdle and, and in the lower extremity. But we'll often see athletes who may lose things like elbow extension, forearm supination, shoulder flexion, external rotation, internal rotation. And it's really hard to undo this loss while they're still throwing um, because throwing is the single fastest motion in law of all sports. It's, it's like, you know, when we talk about eccentric stress, it's like pulling the parking brake when you're going 100 miles an hour and tissues adapt and they shorten. Um, I want to say that the research from Ryan back in 2009 showed that the average loss of, of elbow extension after an outing was about 3.5 degrees. We got to remember there was a standard deviation on that. You probably have athletes that come out of a game and lose 10 and others that are hypermobile that actually gain motion. So it's really hard to undo these losses while players are are still throwing and having that that no throw period at the end of a season um, is clutch for allowing us to do more targeted manual therapy, positional breathing, mobility work to restore this motion. Um, As I quickly alluded to, there are also going to be throwers who are hypermobile and actually may gain range of motion. Um, but these folks really just need to, you know, pay more attention to the stability side of things we mentioned earlier You know do more training and, and they likely benefit even more from the increases in passive stiffness that take place by the ligaments at the front of the shoulder and the medial aspect of the elbow and it, it's particularly true if we have You know individuals who have existing wear and tear maybe they've got a, a, a previous glenohumeral uh, Ligament sprain or they've had an ulnar collateral ligament sprain in the you know earlier in their career Maybe they need time just to redevelop some of that passive stiffness and even lay down some calcification to protect themselves. This is a very overlooked uh, discussion point in the baseball world is that in many cases the problems that we're seeing at high-level arms is a function of low-grade injuries that happen when athletes were much younger. There's no such thing as a normal elbow in the Major League ba- Baseball draft anymore. Most young athletes are throwing so hard that we are seeing reactive changes, whether it's stress reactions, partial ligament injuries. Um, you know, previous medial epicondyle fractures, uh, you know, flexor strains, all these different things. Chronic ulnar neuritis. Um Sometimes pitchers just need time for undetected low-grade injuries to heal. Um, and, and to be honest, most injuries, especially ulnar collateral ligament tears come from the accumulation of chronic low-level stress. We see an athlete who consistently threw 100 innings all the way through high school, all of a sudden he gets involved in a strength conditioning program, optimizes mechanics, and then he goes out and he hits 94 as a senior in high school and blows out his elbow, and they go in and they look when the Tommy John surgery takes place, and there's all these areas of previous calcification. Um, You could also have some low-level rotator cuff tendinosis that's just been there for an extended period of time, and eventually, it finally goes and becomes a partial or a full thickness tear. So old low level injuries are less likely to reach threshold if you give them some downtime. And just as importantly, you use that downtime to teach your body to move more efficiently so that you can redistribute stress. So instead of everything you know, going into your posterior elbow because you're too aggressive at ball release you know, when you overcook a slider, maybe we can work on getting you a little bit more shoulder ex- uh, internal rotation. Maybe we can work on getting you a little bit better scapular uh, you know, upward rotation, a little bit better thoracic flexion, You know, work into that front hip a little bit better so it's not just the upper extremity being left out to dry. The idea is that when we take time away from throwing, we often have a chance to work On other things that allows us to strengthen the rest of our body so that we can dramatically reduce the demands on both our shoulder and elbow once they start throwing. Um, And the problem is you can't teach other joints to share that burden if the burden is never removed temporarily. So you know this gives us a time to prioritize other competing demands. We know that throwing's a good, you know, 20 to 30 minute endeavor each time you do it, possibly even more. When I think about all the things that pitchers can be doing early in the off-season from a strength and conditioning standpoint, it's it's sometimes really hard to justify giving away that much time and recovery capacity. Um, there are other things that need to be prioritized and, you know, year-round throwing is a especially tough pill to swallow when you know that it may actually be working against some of those very specific qualities, cuff strength, scapular control, Tissue length and, and quality, you know, that we're trying to establish. So, um, just a really, you know, important discussion to have. And if we're going to do it, we need to make sure athletes are doing it correctly, so that we can still get the benefit of all these things I've just outlined. Um, you know, a final point that I, I want to make with respect to why sometimes it is the right thing to take time off is that, you know, it is something that pitchers have done for years. And I, I know that's not necessarily the best way to, you know, support this shutdown mindset. Because I don't think we ever want to fall back on the hackneyed, this is how we've always done it, expression. But in this case, I think it actually is a remarkable sample size. Um, and pitchers weren't just healthier in the past because they didn't throw as hard. Certainly that's a huge part of it. But as a modern example, I often cite you know, to the young pitchers and their parents that I've, I've worked with over the years is I, I go back and I talk about Corey Kluber's 2013 to 2014 offseason. Um, he made his last appearance of 2013 on September 27th, and he didn't start his offseason throwing program until December 9th. So it's a good six weeks. Um, if you look at fan graphs, his average fastball velocity in 2013 was 92.9, and in 2014 it went up to 93.2. And why it's even more significant is in 2014, he threw 235 innings, which was a 47-inning increase from anything he had ever done in his career. He saw his average fastball velocity go up that year, and that was actually the fourth consecutive year it had done that as his workload had climbed. So when your workload is climbing and your average fastball increase is climbing at the same time and you're you're taking two to three months off from throwing in each of those off seasons, clearly it can be done. And that was also at a time where Corey was... Was, was cleaning up his mechanics to some degree, particularly early in that time period, 2011, 12, 13. And it clearly didn't hurt him as he won the American League Cy Young in 2014 with this workload. Um, so I, I just think it's a really important case study and it's one of many that I can use to support this mindset. But at the same time, I wanna be very candid and say, I'm not against the idea of certain pitchers throwing year round. So let's make the case for why that may work for some people. So why would a thrower want to continue to throw at the end of a competitive season? Um, I think there are a few different rationales for this. And, and admittedly, this is going to be a shorter list than maybe the opposition card. Um, but it's, it's largely because it's more anecdotal and, and subjective than it is truly studied and objective, right? So when we talk about, uh, you know, the rationale for getting away from baseball for a while, we can monitor rotator cuff strength, we can calculate that, um, you know, we can look at range of motion and how it may change. Maybe we drop a little bit of external rotation as we regain some passive stability. Those are things that we can actually objectively measure. But the real reason that more pitchers you know, nowadays are, are continuing to throw is because they want to maintain feel, right? And feel is inherently subjective. It's the ability to manipulate the baseball. It's the, the thought that it's going to take less time to build up um, to a competitive you know, situation than it would otherwise. So um, this is particularly important in light of the times we're in. Right now, we, we have far more technology at our fingertips um, to allow us to do more pitch design work, um, you know, certainly we can get feedback from what spin rates, spin efficiencies, all those different things are. We also have technology to you know, measure how we do pitch design, right? We have high speed cameras that can give us some pretty phenomenal feedback. Um, and there's also you know, great video technology on a, on a basic iPhone with, with slow motion stuff where pitchers can look um, at what they're doing when they're trying to reshape an arm path learn a new pitch, adjust a delivery, whatever it may be. Um, so as an example, Aaron Savali last year really reshaped his arm path and you know, worked on his changeup quite a bit. Um, he didn't take a, a ton of time off, but he did take a little bit of time off, um, probably shorter than his history you know, has traditionally been. So you know, there's a guy who wanted to get throwing sooner and later because he had things that he wanted to work on. But I do think we need to appreciate that that's a, a major league pitcher, right? It's someone who's far more in tune with their body, their workload, um, you know, when they're ready to actually start that throwing program. Um, You know, one of the conversations that that I had with Max Scherzer years ago, why he did it was, he talked about it was just about avoiding soreness. He always felt like he dealt with some soreness initially when he started throwing after a period off and it interfered with his ability to get in some workload, you know, at a point in in time in the off season where he felt it was really critical. So there are a number of athletes that do feel like soreness is something that that gives them problem. And if they continue to just expose the arm to layback and, you know, the, the distraction forces at ball release... Over the course of that off-season, that it does tend to counteract that, and, and certainly it's something that's worked phenomenally for Max over the course of time. Um, so really, it comes down to feel, um, you know, the ability to to make changes, whether it's in pitch design, uh, reshaping an arm path, or adjusting your delivery, and then third, you know, avoiding soreness. Those are the three rationales, uh, you know, for continuing to throw. Um, this clearly isn't as long a list, but I don't think that makes it any less compelling. Um, because for some athletes, this has clearly been you know, career changing. So I think above all else, we really need to put our, you know, our pen to paper and, and really do some thinking on how to do it safely and correctly. We need to make sure that we think it through and we actually plan it out meticulously so that we don't deviate and say, all right, I'm just going to play catch at 60 feet and then before you know it in week two, you're airing it out to 300 feet with your long toss. So there is a right and a wrong way to do it. And here are some of the things that I think are important for us to consider. First, the intensity has to be kept down in the early stages, and I'd argue that this timeline is probably about eight weeks. So, in a normal, you know, off season, our minor league baseball players are typically going to wrap up in the first couple weeks of September. Um, here in 2021, it's a little bit different just because the season gets started a little bit later and playoffs are pushed back. But um, you know, historically speaking, if guys are going to just continue to throw during that down period, I think it's play and catch at 60 to 75 feet, three days a week, you know, for that first eight weeks or so. Not really any weighted ball stuff. It's just, you know, manipulating a five-ounce baseball, being comfortable, staying familiar with the seams. Um, I will say, historically, we have tons of guys that do like to throw the football around this time. So they're probably making the same number of throws, but a lot of times they're running routes with their buddies and just moving around. And, you know, it's something that kind of keeps them athletic. Um, A lot of guys feel like the football does help them to, to keep their arm path where it needs to be. So that's one way to kind of keep the arm moving without unyielding specificity. Um, The second point I would make is that short shutdowns are traditionally um, useless and and likely harmful. Um, The reason, very simply, is that everyone ramps up too quickly after these down periods. There's, There's basically a sudden reduction in chronic workload and then a substantial jump in acute workload thereafter. And this is, as we know in the baseball world, and and Tim Gabbitt has some great research on this, um, it's a recipe for disaster. Um, If we're being honest, the college baseball world is the most guilty of this as it's kind of a, a competitive year that's riddled with weeks off here and there that probably don't do much to allow for actual rest, recovery, regeneration. But do you put athletes at increased risk when the season starts. You know what do we see? We see guys that throw all the way till you know early August in summer ball, and they take three weeks off, and they ramp right back up for fall ball. You know we see a scenario where some pitchers are shut down for like two weeks during final exams, and then they ramp right back up. So um, I traditionally like to find more you know sustained periods of downtime if we're going to do it at all. If not, we're better off just keeping pitchers playing catch lightly during those periods. Um, third point I would say is remember that most kids are terrible evaluators of intensity of throwing. Um, I think I recall a, a quote from Kevin Wilk way back in the day where he said, you know, teenagers only know one speed and that's stupidity. Um, and it, you know, he meant it, you know, in a very, you know, joking way, but, you know, there is a fair amount of truth to that is, you know, there's research that shows that if you, if you look at pitchers, they tend to throw harder than they think they're throwing. Um, so if you ask them to throw at 80% effort, they're probably going to throw over 90% effort. Um, so keep the athlete mindset in mind when you prescribe continued throwing. My experience has been that professional athletes have a very good feel for this, college athletes slightly less so, and high school athletes almost no feel for it. So I'd be very reluctant to push kids um, who are still skelly and mature, still learning how their body works. Um, you know, who have the opportunity to play multiple sports and benefit in different ways, and also ones that you know really haven't made the most of their strength and conditioning experiences yet. You know, most 16, 17, 18 year old kids still need to get stronger. And you know, the more they throw, the the harder it is. There's more competing demands. You know, to really um, you know interfere with that if you're continuing to throw. And then I, a fourth point is, I think if you if you think your 12 year old needs to throw year round to develop, you're crazy. And there, there are they're going to be people that are thinking that that's the case, and it's it's just not true. When baseball season ends, um, that kid needs to get involved in soccer, football, street hockey, some other sport, whatever it is. Um, I think variety is essential at that age, as you need to build a broad foundation of motor strategies upon which you can layer more specific skill work later on. Um, most kids will still get some accidental throwing in at that age just by messing around with their buddies and recreational activities, whether it's you know you know just playing catch in the backyard, playing wiffle ball, you know obviously throwing the football around, stuff like that. But the lack of, of downtime from throwing is especially problematic in younger populations because they are skelly mature and they are weaker, right? So you, if you push them harder, they're more likely to wind up with growth plate injuries or you know, more significant stuff that, that sticks around for an extended period of time. So this is a conversation that we should never be having with 12-year-olds. This is something that you know, we probably need to start considering when we have kids who are you know, 16, 17, 18, and, and obviously into college and professional sports. And then a fifth, you know, last but not least factor is, is the psychological component. Um, a lot of baseball players are completely over baseball by the time the offseason rolls around. You know, I think this is particularly true if they played for a team that wasn't in a playoff race, you know, and, and obviously they were you know, in the dog days of summer as it wound down. You know, or if they played for a coach that wore them out and took the fun away from the game, um, you know, and certainly guys who pitch career high in innings. I know the number of guys I've seen who have hit like 180 innings for the first time in professional baseball. They're they're largely hanging and just not even interested in going anywhere near a baseball when the season wraps up. Um, and, and forcing them to continue to throw is a quick way to make them really apathetic to you know not just baseball but also your coaching. You know, if you need any proof, ask any minor leaguer how he feels about you know, being sent to instructs after 150 innings or something like that. Um, you know, I think historically a lot of, you know, necessary work can certainly happen there, but that doesn't mean that guys necessarily enjoy it. It's why you see more and more teams getting away from this idea of a traditional instructs instead letting guys start their off season and then doing more camps throughout the off season as check-ins. Um, it's just a way to, to keep people passionate about baseball without wearing them out when they've been on the road for an extended period of time and they're they're maybe a little bit banged up. So Um, You know, these are just five things that I think are really, really important for us to, you know, to certainly appreciate. Another point I would just make before I wrap up is remember that some athletes might not really remember what it's like to actually feel good. Um, I think there are a lot of pitchers that come in and say they feel great at the end of the season, but they actually present really poorly on their postseason evaluations, whether it's in terms of range of motion, strength, whatever it is. And a big part of that problem is that, you know, athletes can't necessarily perceive the issues, you know, mobility, stability deficits that may lead to baseball injuries on a daily basis. You know, they just they just assume you're supposed to feel bad because they're they're so accustomed to it. Um, you know, baseball injuries are particularly interesting, particularly elbows and shoulders, because they typically involve mechanical pain. In other words, you know, the athletes don't have pain at rest with just activities of day living. They, they typically only have discomfort with throwing, and, and sometimes it's only... You know, throwing with high velocity off of a mound. Um, you know, so I've, I've certainly seen athletes who claim they feel awesome at the end of a season, but actually have experienced big losses in range of motion, stability, and power. So, you know, if we apply all this to kids who play year-round baseball, I think it's safe to say that we have a generation of kids who, you know, legitimately have no idea what it's like to feel good, you know, slash fresh, or even confident in their preparation physically. Um, you know, they haven't thrown a baseball with great rotator cuff strength or. You know, excellent scapular upward rotation, a good anterior core control. Um, you know, they, they don't know how to effectively create separation. You know, between you know their their hips and their thoracic spine, um, because their mobility in both places is so subpar, and the core isn't you know effectively transferring force. Um, you know, it's kind of like this subclinical epidemic. Um, we just have a lot of unathletic athletes who really aren't willing to take a step a step back to set themselves up for many steps forward. So you know, for the younger players on this who who think they need to throw you around, I would just encourage you, you know, take a step back, build a big foundation and stay healthy. And it'll make it easier for you to pick up on the specific mechanic corrections, you know, that you may want to do later on. So, you know, in a long way, you know, the, the, the summary paragraph here is this this entire podcast was, um, you know, a way of just saying don't be afraid to take time off from throwing. Um, it's you know, research is very much in support of it, helping to keep pitchers healthy long term. And the anecdotal evidence also supports the notion that it's a, it supports long term baseball development, too. However, what I would tell you is there are absolutely circumstances when some athletes can continue to throw. And if I had to estimate, I'd say that probably 40% of our pro guys last off-season didn't really take time off. They continued to just play catch a few times a week. They threw the football around just to stay active, you know, during those first, you know, 8 to 10 weeks of the off-season before they started to ramp up around, you know, mid-November, Thanksgiving whatever it was. So just appreciate that it can be done safely, but you need to make sure that you, you, you really make a list of you know, your priorities, what you need to attack that off season, and certainly you know, make a, a calendar that, that demonstrates when you're gonna actually start ramping up. Um, I always encourage folks to, to work backwards from spring training, figure out how much time it's gonna take you to, to be not only ready, but also be, be optimized that you can show up and show well. Um, so thanks for listening. We threw a lot at you, but, um, at the end of the day, as with all questions in the world of health, human performance and baseball development, the answer is it depends. And maybe thank you for joining us for another episode of the CSP elite baseball development podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd be thrilled if you'd consider subscribing to the podcast and leaving us a review to read on iTunes. We welcome your suggestions. For future guests and questions, just email elitebaseballpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for your continued support, and we'll see you next episode.